everyone. Again, as uh, we continue our worship, want to uh, say welcome to everybody. Uh, glad that you are here. Uh, if you are visiting with us, uh, then uh, please know that you are honored guest. We're glad to have you with us uh, this morning, and we hope that you'll stick around after worship. Uh, let us get to know you uh, and, uh, and to welcome you and invite you back any opportunity that you might have. Go ahead and turn, if you would, with me to 2 Corinthians. That's uh, where we're going to sort of, uh, be, I guess, be our base camp, you might say, for this morning. We'll go to chapter 5. Appreciate the opportunity to, to be with you and to speak this morning and uh, hope that something we uh, say and something we ponder this morning will be, uh, will be helpful uh, as we spend our day-to-day -day lives uh, in service to God. Have you ever, I'm going to start with this question, or a few questions, just to kind of get our minds thinking. Have you ever gotten a new car? doesn't have to be new-new, it could just be new to you-new. But have you ever gotten a new car and your, your friends, your family, your community threw a party because you got a new car? Ever had that happen? Here's another question. Have you ever in the afternoon during the work week taken an employer-sanctioned nap? That employer-sanctioned part is, is important. That's an important distinction. Ever taken one that was governed and, and, and blessed by your employer? Speaking of blessing, have you ever been an astronaut on the way about to travel to the International Space Station and had a blessing and holy water put on you by a Russian Orthodox priest regardless of your religious persuasion? So far I think we're 0 for 3 right now. Um, and that's because those are things that don't happen in our culture. You know, in our culture we get a new car and well that's it, we get a new car. Uh, there's typically not a party, maybe we're excited, and then we think about the taxes we have to pay, and then maybe we're not so excited, but uh, nonetheless we get excited, but we don't, we don't throw a party. Maybe if we won the car on a game show, there was someone saying, get a brand new car, but other than that, uh, we don't get too excited about it. But if you lived in, say, for example, Nigeria, that would be a relatively common occurrence. When I was in grad school, I lived in a house with a couple of guys from Nigeria, and it was during that time that I got a new van. And that van is still with me today. We're almost 300,000 miles, yes. Uh, but anyway, that, that van has been a trooper. I love that van. But I got the van, and my roommate was like, we should throw a party. And I was like, what? And he explained to me this, this sort of tradition that they have. And again, there are other parts of the world where you have a siesta, and that's a real legitimate thing. It's not, the boss isn't looking, take a nap. It's, no, the boss is looking, and let's all take a nap. Uh, and then it is true that when uh, astronauts and cosmonauts and, and whoever else is traveling to the International Space Station, if you're uh, going to the International Space Station on a Soyuz rocket, you're traveling from Russia, and a Russian Orthodox priest will bless you and bless the rocket and bless all the reporters that are there and anybody that's sort of in the vicinity. Uh, again, those are differences in culture. And I want us to think about culture for a little bit this morning. Uh, of course, when we think about the word culture, the idea of culture, you know, we think about sort of maybe American culture or we think about, you know, Mediterranean culture. Or we, but, but then we can break it down into subcultures, you know, southern United States culture being different than northern United States culture. Things like grits and sweet tea that's cold, Dr. Pepper, uh, those kinds of differences. But then there are differences even amongst those of us in the south. And when you really think about it, ultimately a culture is just sort of a shared set of values, right? It's what's important. 
And everyone, ultimately, every individual has a unique schedule of values. Uh, So we're all sort of cultures of one. Um, But there are certain things, perhaps, that different people and different groups kind of share. And one of the things that's really interesting to think about as we read the New Testament and we read the epistles and we read about this expansion of Christianity is the kind of culture shock that was going on as the culture of God's kingdom, if you will, was coming into contact with the cultures of the day. Um, And and Paul sort of deals with this in in a lot of different sort of ways, uh, maybe some more obvious than others. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again, the the passage that we read this morning, uh, let's read it again. This is uh, Paul, about uh, the latter part of chapter 5. Of course, 2 Corinthians, written by Paul to the church at Corinth. This is his at least third letter. We call it 2 Corinthians because we have 2 Corinthians, we have 1 Corinthians, but there is reference in 1 Corinthians to another letter that Paul wrote that we don't have. That would be, I guess, 0 Corinthians. We don't have that one. But we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, of course, written after 1 Corinthians, and it seems that from from the best we can tell, and this is some supposition, but from, from what Paul says, it seems pretty likely that what he dealt with in 1 Corinthians, some of the corrections that he had to, to point out to the folks, had been well received um, and they had listened to him but it also seems that perhaps there were some that decided if you don't like the message what do you do you attack the messenger Uh, and so there seems to have been some some pushback against Paul himself Um, Paul even specifically points out in 2 Corinthians that people say that, oh, his letters are impressive, but his bodily presence is not really that impressive. So, I mean, he specifically, explicitly says that there were some things that were said about him. So this is not just supposition or inference um, to the best explanation. But so he's writing this letter, and this is a letter that, that deals with many different topics, but, but one of the sort of recurring themes of the book of 2 Corinthians is Paul's legitimacy and his sincerity uh, in what he is attempting to do. Uh, and so it's sort of with that context, I always want to try to remember the context of a, of a passage uh, so that we're not sort of inadvertently wresting it from its context and uh, using it for purposes that perhaps it is not uh, intended to be done so. And so with that context in mind, let's notice again verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, or to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul refers to himself. He uses the we here, um, and, and the, that word can sometimes be sort of the, the, the royal we, referring to himself, not that Paul thought of himself as royalty, but that sort of sense of, well, we did this and we did that, but he really means just himself. Uh, it could mean we in terms of the apostles. It could mean we in terms of a sort of all evangelists. It could mean we in terms of all Christians. And so that's an important question to ask. And another important question to ask is what's meant by ambassador? Because what we're going to do for a few minutes is think about the idea of us being ambassadors. And if we are sort of ambassadors for our ultimate home country, what kind of values, what kind of traditions uh, does our home country 
consider important. That's kind of, kind of where we're going with this. But first we need to make sure that we're not taking a word and an idea that kind of works well for a sermon and pulling it out of its context and misusing it when it doesn't really fit. We want to make sure that we're being honest with the text as we always do. And so we, we ask this question, well, what is meant by ambassador? Because obviously when you think about an ambassador in the first century, we're not necessarily thinking about an ambassador today uh, because just in terms of the, the sort of governmental apparatus and complexity that goes on when you think about an ambassador. So what, what is Paul saying? Who's he talking about when he says we? Uh, what does he mean by ambassador? And to what extent can we apply that to ourselves? We're going to deal with those very quickly and then move in theoretically to the meat of the lesson. So ambassador, the word actually is just a word that means someone who's older. It's very similar to the word that is translated as elder. So, for example, the elders of our congregation, um, they, are, they are ones, that word literally means those who are older. Well, the same word, or a similar word, is used here. So, are all of our translations bad? Throw them out! They say ambassador when it should say elder. Well, not necessarily, because the word that's translated as ambassador, yes, it does have this sort of root idea of someone who is older, but... It was used in that day and time, and even before then, in a broader meaning. Not every Greek word had a razor-sharp meaning, um, and this is one that had some, some several definitions. Um, and, and the idea of one who is a, a messenger, one who is sent, uh, one who is an ambassador to the extent that they <clears throat> excuse me, had ambassadors in the first century, that is one of the legitimate uses of the word. And again, we don't necessarily need to think about sort of full diplomatic immunity or anything like that, but it was one who was trusted by the ruler to deliver a message or to speak on his or her behalf. Now that gets into the second question. To what extent does that apply to us, i.e., what does Paul mean when he says we? And again, we could sort of get into the grammar of it, but it's sort of early in the week, and maybe we don't necessarily want to delve into grammar right now. At least it's not math, though. But let's, let's notice just a little bit here. The word we here, see, Paul uses several different uh, nouns uh, or pronouns that, that we could be sort of an antecedent relationship <clears throat> with. Um, and some of them could be just the apostles. But if you go down into chapter 6, uh, for example, he seems to talk about, notice in verse 4 of chapter 6, <clears throat> excuse me, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. It, basically, it's not exactly specifically explicitly clear how big this word <clears throat> is. So what can we say? Well, if Paul is using ambassador, this word, in sort of a sense of special authority, obviously it doesn't apply to us, right? Because we don't have the kind of special authority that the apostles had. And yet also that word apostle is a similar kind of word in that it had a technical meaning and a non-technical meaning. Literally, <clears throat> excuse me, an apostle just means one who is sent. Um, but that there was this sort of technical sense in which the apostles were those 12 and then no longer Judas and then Paul, who were called with this special mission, had special authority. We don't have that. So if we're going to look at this word ambassador and we're going to take the idea of authority into it, then there's no reason why we should apply it to ourselves. Um, elders, uh, bishops, pastors, those, those terms are interchangeable. Um, don't have the kind of authority that apostles had. Uh, ministers, evangelists, don't have the kind of authority that apostles had, don't have any special uh, authority. And, 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 and Christians in general, we don't get to make up what God has told us to say. So we don't have that sort of sense of authority. 
And so if ambassador carries with it that notion of authority, well, then let's just walk on by, or in my case, roll on by, because that word doesn't apply to us, and, and move on. But if we think of it in the sort of broader sense <clears throat> of a messenger, of one who is representing a home country, well, then it can apply to us and, and probably should apply to us. And so with that in mind, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, we are ambassadors the same way that Paul was. Again, it's, we, we can't necessarily nail it specifically down, but there is certainly a sense, if we just think about this concept of an ambassador, in which we certainly can relate, in which we can say, yes, we are, in a sense, ambassadors. We are representatives. We're not making up decrees. We're not commanding authority and saying, well, this is going to happen because I've got authority from God to make these decisions. But it does mean that we can share with people the values, the, the message of our home country. And so with that in mind, you know, you think about cultures, you think about society. I would submit to you that any culture at any point in time is going to have some ways in which it overlaps with the kind of culture that is the schedule of values that God wants humanity to have. I mean, think about it. Any place at any time, there are going to be some things that people value that they ought to value. And there are going to be some things that people value that they ought not value. And there are going to be things that people don't value that they should. So people are going to leave some things out. They're going to add some of their own. And the schedule, the relative ranking of those values might not always be correct. So, for example, love of family is indeed a biblical concept. Uh, Paul says that if one does not provide for his family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so love of family is important. But what does Jesus say about loving father or mother more than loving him? If we love father and mother more than Jesus, we're not worthy of him. So loving family is important, but loving God and following Christ is more important, right? So that's a schedule of values. Well, X is more important than Y, Y is more important than Z. And so we might find cultures where certain things are valued that are good, but just are placed above something else that should be above. And the whole notion of idolatry ultimately is if number one is not God, then we're engaging in idolatry. But so the point is this. Every culture is going to be different. So rather than notice our particular culture and sort of have a sermon that's based off of our thoughts, sort of based off of reacting to what's going on in our society, and I'm not saying that's bad, <clears throat> there's certainly a place for that, but let's just sort of think in general. Let's, let's clean the slate. Regardless of who we are interacting with, regardless of what sort of culture, what sort of schedule of values the people that we are interacting with have, what are the schedule of values? What are some of the important principles of the kingdom of God? So again, rather than saying, well, you believe X and you should believe X because blah, 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 blah. Let's just, regardless of that, let's not worry about that right now. Let's just build a positive case for what should be considered important. Sound good? So a few minutes we're going to spend, and then the lesson, as they say, will be yours. So only three points, only three fingers works out very well. If I go beyond that, I lose track. It's, it's very horrible. Um, by the way, I still can't do a lot of multiplication, and that's why. Uh, but anyway, I digress. So point number one is that we ought to value truth. That, that, that at a bedrock level, the kingdom of God's culture is a culture that values truth. Two points there, sub-points to that. Oh, you're cheating. You have points, but then you have sub-points. Yes, I know. Sub-point number one is that truth exists. Again, that might be sort of non-controversial, but if we're building a case from the very ground up, we've got to say, look, there's such a thing as truth. Because it might be the case that people might deny the existence <clears throat> of truth. 
Truth is a very important concept in Christianity. Indeed, what does Paul say about, not, not here in 2 Corinthians, we're going to notice a passage in 2 Corinthians here in a minute, but what does Paul say about this notion of Jesus being crucified and being raised from the dead and those that would question being raised from the dead and whether the dead rise at all? You remember this? Paul says that, well, if the dead are not raised, then Christ was not raised, and if Christ was not raised, then what? Then we're still dead in our sins. And, and that is a pitiable state. You see, Christianity makes certain truth claims. That is, Christianity says, look, 2,000 some odd years ago, give or take, this thing happened, this event happened in the world. And if that event did not happen, then Christianity is not true. So unlike perhaps some religions or, or our concepts or, or, or sort of worldviews one can imagine, our, ours is very much grounded on there needs to be something that is known as truth. In 2 Corinthians itself, the word truth shows up eight times. Now, there's 13 chapters in the book, and eight times the word shows up. That, that suggests that it's, it's fairly important. <clears throat> and in chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 13, <clears throat> uh, verse number 8, we find this. Paul, as he's wrapping up the book, says, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Again, sort of in this defense of his ministry and in his, in his encouragement of his uh, listening audience there, his reading audience uh, there in Corinth. Again, let's read it again. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Truth exists. And that's important. And not just sort of material truth. Uh, you know, the sky is blue and, and, and the earth revolves around the sun and it rotates on the axis and the axis is tilted and electromagnetism works in this way and, and gravity is calculated by the inverse proportion of their masses and a bunch of other math and I promise we're not going to get into math. But the point is that there is scientific sort of truth. Uh, Newton's laws of motion, for example. But, but we as Christians argue and, and claim and value the notion not that there is that kind of truth that exists, but also the kinds of truths that we might think of are part of the realm of the mind. Those things that really ultimately we as humans find very important, like importance itself, like the notion of meaning and value and purpose, significance, virtue, beauty, compassion, love. Those are all functions of the mind. You can't find with like a microscope and some scientific equipment and find meaning in the world, can you? There's no test. There's no scientific test to find meaning because meaning is not made up of atoms. It's not made up of stuff. Meaning is a mental concept. It's the idea of there is value. Well, if, if this world is all that there is, or if this physical world is all there is, if there is no God, then there is no meaning. There is no value. There is no purpose. There is so, no significance. There is no virtue. No act is better than any other act because there is no ultimate grounding of value. We might like certain things more than other things, but that is just subjective preference. Because we believe that God exists and exists necessarily and self-existently, that God is the brute fact of reality. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, sort of the brute fact of reality. Basically, in a nutshell, everybody believes that something exists sort of unexplained. You ever had a child ask you, you know, why is the sky blue? Why is the sky blue? Well, you know, atmosphere and the molecules in the atmosphere and lights reflect, refracted and, and, and there's certain wavelengths and blah, blah. Okay, well, why do we have the atmosphere that we do? Well, because God created that way. Well, why did God create it that way? 
Well, I'm not exactly certain. Well, why not? Well, because God didn't give me all the information in the world. Well, why not? I don't know. You'd have to ask God. Why? I don't know. You have to ask God. Why? I don't know. You have, and you're stuck there. Every why question ultimately leads back to God, and we can't get any further. If the whole idea is that God is, and that he's not dependent upon anything else for his existence. He is necessarily self-existent. He exists because he exists. Moses, burning bush. God, you're, you're telling me to go back to Israel. They're going to ask who sent me. What do I say? I am that I am. See, God maybe is making that claim right there. We believe that. We believe that God exists and that what thus, that, that which exists necessarily, the brute fact of reality, is not matter, it's not stuff, it's mind. It's this triune God who values. And so we believe that value exists. We believe that truth exists. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free, John 8, 32. John 17, 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul refers to the church as the pillar and ground of the truth. So what, what is this kingdom of God? What, what, what values are there? At bedrock, truth. Before and above anything else, because God exists, there is truth. And all truth, some have said, is God's truth. And so what does that mean for us? That means that we seek truth and we speak truth. As Paul said in Ephesians 4.25, we should speak truth with our neighbors. It means, hopefully, that, that we, we seek to only speak those things that are true. So we're careful. We don't jump to conclusions and we don't refuse to draw conclusions that we should. And in that way, we stay balanced and we don't go off chasing rabbits in our own schedule of values and in our own belief systems. Um, so we, we value truth. It is important. And above and beyond everything else, we've got to be truthful. Hopefully, again, that's, that's what we as Christians can glean from it. Because the reality is what we know up here doesn't always come down here, does it? Uh, what does is, what is, uh, Paul say? That, 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 the, 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 that he found within himself this, this principle that in his mind, as it were, he knew the right thing to do, but in his body he found himself doing all these things that he ought not do. And that's us, isn't it? Can you relate to that? You know, you know something up here, but sometimes your body wants to act as though you don't know it very quickly. Uh, perhaps maybe you can relate to this. Maybe some of you are football fans. We live in Alabama. Again, culturally, perhaps there's a good chance you are. Um, I know I've made this point a couple of times before, but you know, I grew up as an Alabama fan. Still am an Alabama fan. Went to the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, um, and all of that. Um, and so Alabama's playing a football game, and I know in here that there's nothing that I can do sitting at home on the couch or on the floor or pacing back and forth that's going to affect the outcome of that game. I know that the outcome of that game is going to have very little impact on my life. And so it's not a fight or flight situation. It's not anything dangerous. I know that up here. But I'm watching the national championship game, and I'm telling you, my body, my autonomic nervous system is acting like we're being chased by a bear. Because I'm all nervous, and your know, blood pressure's up, and you're know, flopping back and forth. Um, and so I know it up here. I'm like, Nick, this, is not, this doesn't matter. But my body's like, yes, it does. We don't care. It matters. Our bodies don't always catch up with what we know up here. So when we think about these values and concepts, we realize that we might sometimes fall behind in those. Truth, that's point number one, very quickly. Point number two, we value people. People are important. Truth is bedrock important because God is truth. 
People are important because God created people and values people. Again, as we read earlier, as we were thinking about during the communion time, as we were participating in the supper, as we were communing with God in memorial of what Jesus did for us, we read how we recognize no one in the flesh. As Paul says in another place, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. As John editorializes in John 3.16, or perhaps Jesus said, we're not sure if that's a quote from Jesus in John 3.16. Your red letter Bibles have it in red a lot, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it should be interpreted as being in red, but it's true regardless. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How much value is something? Well, something is as valuable as someone considers it valuable. You might not think that an old Pac-Man fever lunchbox from the 1980s is worth something, but people will spend a lot of money on it. Not me, I like Pac-Man, but calm down. You might not think that Lego sets like castles and pirate sets are worth a whole lot of money, but people will think about spending it. Guilty on the thinking about spending it at least. What value does something have? The value that someone is willing to pay for it. How valuable are we? What price was paid for us? Jesus died for us. We are of infinite value. People are of value. Our souls are important. But also, our culture says we are to value their autonomy. How many times in the Bible do we find passages imploring us to choose to do what's right? One of the great fundamental realities of our existence is that God chose, us with, chose to create us with the ability to make decisions. We are free moral agents. Imagine if he had not done that and just pre-programmed us all to do good all the time, to value what we ought to value and to do good. Boy, wouldn't this world be free from a lot of the evil and pain and suffering? Yes, it would be, wouldn't it? I don't see how we can avoid that conclusion. If we were all pre-programmed like robots to do the right thing, The people wouldn't do the wrong thing, and much of the suffering in the world comes about because people do the wrong thing. And so God allowed pain and suffering to exist. Why? It seems because he values freedom and the free choice of us to love him. He considered that more valuable than everybody always doing the right thing. So if we are to value people, that means we're also going to value their autonomy and their well-being in this life. So what does that mean? How do we, do we express that sort of value? Of course, we share the gospel. The greatest news that anyone could ever be informed about, you are lost, but there is a way that has been paid for you that you don't have to earn, that you accept. It is a gift of God. You are saved by faith through the grace of God. You accept that. You, you submit in what Paul refers to as the obedience of faith. And not because of the merits of the obedience, but because of the faith shown through the obedience, God graciously will count you righteous and let you have a relationship with him forever. That's great news. That's the best news anybody could ever hear. And so we value people, so we want to give them the news that helps them. But we not only care about people in that sense, but we also care to make sure that we communicate with folks in a way that is honorable, that respects that freedom of choice. Really quickly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 2, notice this. <clears throat> he says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, We're not going to manipulate. 
We're going to share the good news, but we're not going to manipulate you. We're not going to use deceitful, underhanded tactics because we value your soul and this message can save your soul, but we value the freedom of will that God gave you and we're not going to manipulate you. We are going to, through an open statement of the truth, commend ourselves and the message to you. We also care about people's well-being in this life. It's not as important as our eternal destinies, but it is important. All things being equal, we are to care about people's uh, uh, physical lives and and the the physical difficulties that we can have, sicknesses and and, and difficulties economically and, and socially, psychologically, pain and sorrow. And so what do we do? We strive to help people in those ways as well. Uh, this book, 2 Corinthians itself, deals with what Paul dealt with in 1 Corinthians about this giving of uh, people's money for the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, uh, we are to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Ephesians 4.29 reminds us that we are to use words that build folks up, not that tear down. And so we value people, we value their souls, we value their autonomy, and we value the, I guess you might say, the quality of their lives. So we share the gospel, we share it honorably, and we help with the physical and emotional needs in life. And very quickly, number three, peace. We value peace. And again, peace in a biblical sense is not just the absence of conflict. It's not just, well, nobody's arguing. I think of it in sort of a musical analogy. Imagine ten people all singing a song. And one person is going to sing it in the key of C major. Another person is going to sing it in the key of E flat minor. And, you know, and five people are going to sing it in the key of E flat minor. And, and one person is going to sing it in G sharp Phrygian just to be a rebel. Uh, and so you've got all of these people in different key signatures and pulling out old school stuff that doesn't make any sense. And it sounds like a cacophony. And so imagine that. And then imagine people not singing at all. Well, which is better? A bunch of... Or no singing. Well, probably the no singing. But what's even better than that? Everybody's singing in harmony. Now, I'm not the best singer in the world, so I'm not like, don't sing unless you can sing well. That's not my point. My point is just just an analogy. Focusing on the wrong part of the story. The point is that we understand peace not to just be the absence of conflict, but a harmony. People working together. And that is indeed what the gospel is. It is a gospel of peace. We are to be peacemakers, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. And so, 2 Corinthians, last passage we'll take a look at, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. Literally, that word is a word that kind of is from the word logic, but reasonings. We destroy people's reasoning. It's in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, thought, take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, disobedient, or when your obedience is complete. We value peace, but we don't value peace even if that means falsehood and error reign. See, that's why truth is more important than peace. Truth says we're going to do what's true. We're going to believe what's true regardless. But we strive for peace. We work for peace. Uh, we, we strive as much as possible, Romans 12, 18, to live peaceably with all men. As Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 11, we're to seek peace and pursue it. But as Jesus said, he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. We value peace, but we know that the gospel is the gospel of peace, that Jesus himself is our peace 
And it is only through the knowledge of that that we can come to have peace. We want peace. If people talk about world peace, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. Yes, indeed it would. And we want that. We want peace between individuals. We want peace between people and their environments. And we want peace between people and God. And so those are three things that we value. We value truth. We value people. And we value peace. And so as we sort of find ourselves interacting with the different cultures and microcultures that people have, including our own, we can perhaps think about some of these basic principles. Again, I didn't tell you anything new. You know, we're supposed to value truth and not deception. We're not supposed to be like the Sawi uh, in, in Africa, a, a tribe of cannibals that a, 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 a missionary went to and told them the story about Jesus, uh, learned their language, was telling them the story about Jesus, and came to when Judas betrayed Jesus. And as they were listening to the story and they heard the part about Judas betraying Jesus, they all cheered. They cheered at Judas. Fellas, you're focusing on the wrong part of the story. That's not the part you're supposed to be excited about. But they didn't value truth. And so they found deception honorable. Yay, he, he was able to deceive. We value truth We value people. We know that people are important. And we value peace. As we wrap up, if there's any way that we can help you this morning, God's kingdom is a wonderful kingdom. It is the best kingdom. It is the best culture because it is a culture that has the values that come from the source of value himself. God who is with us right now, who is always with us. Again, who sustains us, who we live and move and have our being within. And it is a culture that we would love for you, if you're not a Christian, to become a part of. If you are a Christian and you need some strength, some encouragement, you want us to pray for you, with you, if there's any way that we can help, help you value truth and people and peace more in your life, let us know how we can help right now as you stand and we sing.